I will hit the record button already because uh, I've been thinking that I should do this uh, episode in a way that I've been out of, have been doing before, namely a little bit more spontaneous. And which episode, if not this one, to do that? Sounds good. (laughs) I guess this is where I say to the audience, to the listeners and the viewers, welcome to Mind the Shift. I am Anders Bolling and... um, I'm the host of this podcast. Today, we are going to listen to, I'm going to be talking to uh, Angelo DiLulo, who is a doctor, but he is first and foremost the author of of a book, this book that I can show to the um, YouTube audience. And I will tell the, uh, the audio listeners what it's called. It's called Awake. It's your turn. And uh, this book, book has been my companion during the last two or three weeks here. And it's, it's fascinating. And it's, it's just marvelous. Uh, very interesting. Uh, so um, we're going to talk, talk about, of course, who you are and, and your background and all that, although your history doesn't really exist anymore. But still, <laughs> it might be uh, interesting <laughs> to do that <laughs> anyway for the audience. And uh, I said I, I was I was going to try to be spontaneous here, but I mean I wouldn't be me, or the the shard of the universal consciousness that that has my name wouldn't be what it is if I didn't write down some questions on beforehand. So I have done that, but oh, but still okay. I will go with the flow as 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 much as I can. Sure. And, but I would I want to cut to the chase here right off the bat uh, and talk about the book. Um, Awake, it's your turn, and it's about. Awakening and what's awakening? People might might think. I mean, you wake up from sleep when you're <laughs> night, but but this is something different. So let me just try to try to uh, to explain with, in my words what it might be, and you can say if, if I'm totally out in the bushes here. It, it's about freeing yourself from suffering in this lifetime, which is a tall order. One might say. Could it be simply put like this, that it's, it's like waking up from the, from, from the illusion of two axes, as you are talking about in the chapter of emotions, namely first the, the axis of time, that we are stuck between the future and the past, so to speak, and the other axis being the, uh, the axis of separation, that we are, there is a sep- separation between self and other. Would, would, is it possible to explain it that way? Yeah, I think the, I think your descriptions are um, excellent. So um, just to back up a moment uh, for somebody who is not completely um, uh, aware of what we're talking about, yeah, the, the the true possibility of transformation in this lifetime for you or anyone listening, if they're not if they're not um, fully um, versed in this or haven't come in contact with it in a way that has really resonated to the level where they feel like this is a true possibility for them. Um, I, I like to say that the even knowing what it is, even even to know what awakening means to you, is is actually one of the the barriers. It's it, we have perceptual filters that keep us in a sort of internal world, the world of thought and the world of mind identification, um, in such a way that. <clears throat> to even hear the message that it's possible to step outside of that or to completely live outside of that um, 
th there's some filters that prevent us from actually hearing that, you know, mm. sometimes. So the first barrier often is just hearing this in a way that really resonates at a deep level and you, you feel it, not, not understand it, not intellectualize it, but you feel it. You feel that there's something pop, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> allergies this morning. Okay. Um, you feel that there's something possible uh, that's, that's beyond the usual way our, our mind puts things together as far as the subject object, as far as moving through time, timeline, et cetera. Um, but the, the way you summarize it is great. Um, you know, the, the feeling of waking up from the dream of separation, um, the, the ability to step out of that illusion of the timeline of that hypnotic experience of being someone moving from a past to a future. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I think your description is great. Also to end suffering in this lifetime, it does sound like a tall order, but it does. that's really what it comes down to. Um, and, uh, yeah, your descriptions are good. I mean, there, there are many, but ways they're from your books. I mean, I didn't come up yeah. with it myself. So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, there are many ways to point to this. And a lot of times I feel into who I'm talking to in the moment or how the conversation comes up or what the context is to sort of um, decide or intuit how to actually even talk about it or how to bring it up. So if I'm talking to more scientific minded people, I might bring it up in a more scientific way. Mm -hmm. If I'm talking to people who are more intuitive, I might bring it up in a, in a more intuitive or spiritual way. So there are many ways to approach that initial um, uh, taste, that, that um, uh, um, intuitive knowing that, oh, they're talking about something that's not in the usual world of thoughts, concepts, paradigms. This is actually more intimate, more, more close, more about you in the instinctual way you know yourself. Mm. You've almost learned to overlook, uh, to, to live in this world of thoughts. That's what we're pointing to. So um, th that's a few different ways of saying that awakening really is about a shift in identity. It's about recognizing that the identity we've learned to um, inhabit and in a, in a way through social currency we've learned to reinforce through interacting with other people um, that, that is it's fine in and of itself and in its own right it's it's perfectly valid but there's a much deeper um, much more intuitive way of experiencing ourselves and life yeah to give it just a small concrete example of, of uh, the way you I assume that you are living now your life i mean when did you start preparing for this interview oh i didn't prepare no <laughs> i i guessed as much and you're not, not particularly all. nervous about it i guess also i mean no, that's I, probably natural because i'm, I'm not but, but let's say i would I, I was say i were the president of the united states talking to you right now would you be nervous oh gosh i don't know it's a good question i i i think it would be i think it would kind of be uh like almost funny that someone like that would want to talk to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't generally feel nervous. Um, I, I, I feel uh, a regard for this process. I mean, I really hope that I can get it across in a way that um, does it justice that the person or people who, who um, would really want to hear this mm -hmm. would hear it in the right way that it resonates in such a way that they can walk away from this interview, knowing there is a possibility to actually end suffering. There's, Maybe uh, this, this, this world of internal doubt I've learned to live in, maybe it's not the actual reality. Maybe there's a way to 
live in a much more spontaneous, intuitive um, uh, um, coherence with my deeper truth. Yeah. So, so I feel a, um, um, a regard and, a, and a, I take it seriously just being able to, to express this message. But personally, um, I don't usually feel much nervousness around interacting with people you know, uh, with this subject because I do it so frequently. Yeah. Yeah. And you go into conversations with people, you go into social contexts without any anticipation of what's going to happen. Constantly. It happens all day long. <laughs> like I get messages from people and it's very funny because it's such an energetic, uh, sharing it's, it really is at the sort of an energetic level that I interact with people when they're, when they're in the awakening process that, um, I don't even know who they are all the time. Like sometimes I just see phone numbers, a lot of people from foreign countries mm. and I forget who I'm even talking to, but we're going through this process and I just feel the energetic movements of it, you know, and then later I'll remember who it was or whatever. But I mean, I, I do get a lot of messages throughout the day from people and I zoom with people on occasion. It just depends what else is going on and what other projects I'm working on. And lately I've been making a lot of YouTube videos. So I've not interacted with quite as many people as I have at some time in the past, but mm. I still talk to, uh, you know, several people a day and it, it the, the interaction, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the interaction or the teaching, it, you could call it, um, it's not really a teaching. It's much more of a reflection. Um, but it has to come out of spontaneity really for me. It's it just, it, it comes from a place that is so close that I couldn't even tell you what it is. I can't, mm. I couldn't even describe it but it's instantaneous and it's, it's just very obvious. It's more obvious than looking directly at the sun. It's, it's just what to yeah. say and how the interactions unfolding and how that person's awakening is unfolding is, is the most intuitive thing I probably experience, I would say as an individual. Yeah. And in your, in your book, you, you, you write, I mean, you, you explain several times in the book that it's actually not really possible to write a book about this because it's it, a book is, is like a long thought it's, it's conceptual by nature, but, uh, but you, have, you have made a good effort and, and you've tried to explain what, what's really happening within oneself when one awakens. And would you say that it might be, to, to make a popular reference here, to taking the red pill in the film, The Matrix? Yeah, it's very much like that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> you are um, stepping foot on a path that uh, it's very mysterious and it becomes more mysterious as, as things go on. Um, there are, there are, there are aspects of it. You just, you just cannot prepare for, mm. um, and that's good. It, it, it has to be that way because identity is, um, the, the seeming separate identity, the, the thing that makes us feel apart from everything is, uh, deeply rooted in our, our personality and our identity structures. So it's, um, it's kind of insidious. And when you get really to the roots of identity, um, the, um, defense mechanisms, uh, of, of that identity structure really start to come online. And, and, um, you, you start to feel as if I take one more step, I'm going to be completely in the unknown in every way. Mm. Um, there, there are sort of various aspects of this where you, you, you'll come across that you'll feel that. And, um, a lot of times I'm just there to say, it's okay to take that step, you know, that intuitive step. It's sometimes it feels like you're stepping off a cliff, but yeah. Yeah. And, and but you, you on see, the other side, it's always, it's always worth it. And it's, you know, the, the, the expansion and the, the dissolution of seeming barriers that were never there, um, is, is so wonderful. Mm. Uh, but you, you, you sort of can't know it as you're up against these barriers because 
it feels like you. It feels like the edge of what you are, but it's not. No, and you talk about two things here. You talk, I mean, you talk about many things, but identity and personality. You say the identity is so ingrained in our per, in our personality, but so I mean, identity. You you shed your identity more or less when you awaken completely, which of course can sound very scary to to, to many people. To me, it doesn't really sound that scary. But I, I'm I'm not fully awakened. I'm convinced of that. But but uh, I mean, to shed identity is one thing. But person, what about personality? Because I mean, you you have a certain personality, I guess, that you had before your awakening. And or did did that also change completely? Those are different you know, it's things. Very, it, you know, this is a great question. It's it's very interesting because uh, I would generally speaking say personality remains relatively similar in in the sense that your tendencies to interact with us with people a certain way, the things you're enjo- the things you enjoy or your pastimes. Like I like to do different kinds of art, for instance. Yeah. That really hasn't changed throughout my life. If anything. Um, through the the dissolution of identity, it's become far more enjoyable, more intuitively um, spontaneous. I would say. Mm. So I would say, in a sense, your your personality your personality sort of clarifies itself through this process, mm. enhances um, itself, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I might say something like the the personality is sort of a collection of tendencies that are uh, because of conditions they are. Um, uh, brought forth by this body mind, the structure of the body mind, the history of it, the, um, the, the, the DNA even. And so that those tendencies are still there. For instance, you know, being, um, uh, losing the sense of identity mm. doesn't mean that you suddenly can like experience yourself in another person. Like you don't, you don't, you don't trans, you know, transport yourself throughout the world. Yeah. 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 Because <laughs> conditions. That would be nice to, though. <laughs> Interesting. Right. Right. The conditions compel certain physiologic experiences and, and, you know, you have to be in certain places and times uh, in the relative for those conditions to, to manifest. So the, the body mind, it's not like you, you disappear or something. Um, but the, the strange thing is what goes away internally um, is so profound that you would have never been able to imagine what it was like before it. It's not there mm-hmm. uh, because it's sort of like the glue that holds everything together. It's this, it's the seeming sense of the separate one that moves from moment to moment or that collects experiences or that manages life. It seems like that's what we want to have in here. We want to have this, this, this agency, this ability to manipulate external experiences and situations and people to make ourselves feel better and so forth. But what we ultimately realize is that's what causes all our suffering. It's struggle. We, it's what causes struggle, suffering, um, feelings of insecurity, uh, feelings of not good enough, lack, scarcity, uh, and it's all tied together. And when that dissolves, when, when that's just seen to have never actually been there, um, very surprising things come about. So one of the most surprising things is the, this, the non-dual aspect. And, and there's whole sort of genres of speakers that talk in a way that is neo-advaita or non-dual, yeah. non-duality. Yeah. Um, but specifically the, the non-dual perceptual shift is when we stop actually perceiving a, uh, the sense that I'm here and the world is out there, mm. or I'm here and the sound is over there, yeah. or you're over here and I'm over here. That actually does go away. And so it's it, the, what's on the other side of that is very hard to talk about. But all I can say is it's 
it's more intimate and obvious than it was before that that's how it is. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't go away. It's, it's like, it's, it's actually more real and more obvious than the way our mind continuously tries to put it together and separate itself out as an agent uh, acting on and against an external world that actually goes away. So, um, so things like personality, which seem like who you are, um, in one sense, they don't actually go away. It's just that there's no one with that personality anymore. <laughs> there's no one. In That's it. cool. It's just happening. You know, um, yeah. everything is like that, and and nothing has more or less identity in it. Um, yeah, but you're. I mean, you're still, as you say, you you, you don't travel between bodies. You still have no. a physical body, although uh, you can you can you can, do, you can discuss debate whether it's physical or not, but. Mm-hmm. You inhabit it in some way that what you can see in the three-dimensional world. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's still well, there, but, but yeah. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> well, this, this is really strange because even the sense of being in a body goes, goes away. Okay. Yeah. It's very, um, you can feel your hard, body, but you can, hard to, yeah. it's hard to, yeah. Can you feel other, can you feel other people's feelings? Can you feel into mm-hmm. other people's? Yeah. Yeah. It's so inter, it's, it becomes so interpenetrated. It's actually very difficult or actually becomes impossible if I'm honest to even differentiate what I'm experiencing from what you're experiencing from the sound being heard from the sound being made. It's all, um, inter penetrated experience. It's like one doing one doing one happening. Um, but at the same time in the relative world, in the practical world, you don't lose the ability to raise your hand if someone calls your name. Right. And this is the, this is the thing that, um, is is another thing that's hard to explain about this is that there's the relative, the relative and the absolute in the relative world or the conventional way of talking about self and other and, uh, action and, um, choice. It's fine. It's, it's a mental construct, Mm. but I can operate in that world easily Mm. and do on a Mm. daily basis. Yeah. And at the very same time, and it's actually not different from that. There's this absolute knowing that that's completely empty of any abiding nature at all. Mm. So it's very much empty and full at the same time. Yeah. Uh, what you're describing tells me that you are actually living in a different world and you have taken the red pill because, I mean, I, I have, I've had glimpses of what you're talking about because I'm, I mean, since I've been reading this book, I've on a, not, a, not, a, not only on a daily basis, but on an hourly basis, I would say when I'm walking around, I constantly ask myself where am i now what i'm here now i'm here now why, why am i not there i'm here who am i what am i i mean i'm doing this inquiry thing and i i think i've been able to even before this to realize or, or, or to some somehow uh, grasp the notion that what is outside me is just as much me as what is inside me and or, or even rather almost the, the opposite that what's what's around me is is me more than than anything else because i mean i'm in a way the center of the universe like like any entity is the center of the universe the universe wants to experience itself but then i had this more as you say as you talk about a lot in the book more intimate experience the other day when i was having my evening meal here i had cooked some nice food and i had a glass of wine and i i suddenly i sat there and tried to be really be in the moment and and I managed to do that pretty well, I think. And then I realized when I took a sip of the wine and I took a bite of the, of the food, how can this not be me? 
I mean, I can even taste it. I, I take, can taste the wine and I can taste this piece of onion pie. It's, of course, it's me. It can't be other. I mean, it's just a silly example, but I, I really, I, did, I have never, never experienced that before. And it was very intimate, as you say. It was intimate. Yeah, you felt I, it. I felt it. And it, was a, it, it, it felt pleasant. I mean, I was, yeah. it wasn't scary or anything. It was really, no. really, wow. It was a wow thing, you know? That's, that's non-dual. So non-dual um, experience, the experience of non-duality of not two, uh, often does happen to various degrees before awakening or, or after awakening before, your, before non-duality is, is your moment-to-moment experience. It, it, it's very common, actually. Um, what's interesting is it often gets overlooked or, yeah. you know, because the mind will just get going again and say it starts to doubt it or it starts Rationalize, to Rationalize. Oh, let's, yeah. let's chase it into the future or... It's you know, the mind is is pr- pretty good about keeping us from from just finding that oh actually mm-hmm. that's here right now and right now and right now it's always like that um, but those tastes that come forth spontaneously uh, the powerful very powerful uh, and and they're valuable of course they're not valuable to collect as experiences they're valuable because I think they actually teach the body mind and the nervous system how to attune to that probably. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you don't have to really think back on that and try to recreate it. It's more of just a matter of just keep asking yourself, looking into who, who is it, who is it that's experiencing this? Yeah. Where can I find that? Can I actually find the location of me? I, the perceiver, you know, and, and you don't have to be aggressive about this necessarily. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, natural curiosity, right? Uh, it's asking the questions that we, we learned to not ask as a child, right? Because adults probably said, no, no, that's not what you want to look at. Let's, let's learn this and learn that. And, yeah. you know, but, but, you know, kids are naturally intuitive and, and we have this part of us that's innocent, definitely curious and really fascinated with the experience of, of just being alive. Yes. And so if you can tap into that and use that, um, <clears throat> that natural exuberance, <clears throat> excuse me, um, uh, for, for inquiry, bring it back into life. And um, as you do that, that really just um, uh, opens presence. It op- it it, it um, clarifies the moment to moment aliveness, um, and it, it, more importantly, it keeps attention from just drifting off into the mind constantly. Mm. And with that openness, with that um, experience of presence, often those deeper um, experiences come forth. The the experience without even the perceptual filter of self and other, all of a sudden you taste that. And, and in a way there's like no going back, right? Once you've tasted that, you know, it's possible, uh, you know, you're, you're going to orient towards it. And, yeah. 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 I, I think so. I believe so. And I, I mean, I've been, I think I'm, I want to wake up, uh, but uh, I guess a part of me, part of my mind thinks it might be a little bit scary or, but I, I mean, I can, I can understand that losing the identity is not really such a terrible thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm 58 years old now. My parents are, are, are dead. And I mean, I quit my job and I'm, I'm doing well, the podcasting and some other free stuff. So, I mean, my life is, I'm, I'm, I'm actually trying to shed these conceptual things as much as possible. Uh, so, so, I mean, it's, it, it wouldn't be that difficult to, to do it, I guess. I, I have to say I had, I had this experience when I was 20 years old, which was very scary, actually. When I, I did civil service, I, uh, there was a possibility to do civil service instead of military service. 
at that time. So I did that because I, I didn't want to use weapons. And I was much, I had a lot of alone time. So I was by myself for days on end and hours, many hours. I, I just pondered life, you know, these big questions. And all of a sudden, one, one day, everything kind of snapped, you know, and I, I remember thinking or feeling that I can't be this, this lump of meat inside my skull. That's impossible. And it was so scary to think that. Could this be me? <laughs> and I got this tunnel vision thing, you know, and it, this went on for several days. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if it, had it happened to me today in that way, I would have, I would have uh, perceived it differently. I wouldn't have been scared, I think, because I think I, I, I had a glimpse of what you're talking about, but I was, I was so scared. I wanted to get out of it because it's tell, told me in a way that experience told me that I can't live this way. I can't, I, if it's going to be like this, I can't, I can't stay here on this earth anymore. This is, this is unbearable. Mm. I can't be in this. I can't be imprisoned in this meat lump here. So, I mean, mm-hmm. but yeah. So, but you say in the book, you, 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 you say early on and, and on several occasions here, several pages, uh, several chapters in the book that, this might be scary for, you, for, for those of you who, who continue reading this. Uh, at some point, it might get a bit, bit scary. But I, I don't think it got very scary, really, because it's very, very hands-on. It's a very practical book. And it, it's, it's supposed to help people to find their own path towards awakening. So it's, it's written in a very non-spiritual way, you might say, which is a bit uh, counterintuitive. But I guess that's, part, that's the point, isn't it? You wanted to yeah. write a book like that. Yeah. um, So to your first point about fear, um, I really try to prepare people for uh, uh, certain eventualities that can, if you're not expecting it or don't know how to navigate it, can uh, sort of deter you from this because you misunderstand, you know, what's happening. And one of them is, is fear. You know, it's an emotion. A lot of times it's an emotion that we use identity structures to avoid, but it's kind of lurking there a lot of times in our life, you know, or, um, you know, we're keeping it at bay and so forth. So yeah, when you start to sort of dismantle identity structures or they, they naturally deconstruct when you just look closer and closer at what's actually happening, when that occurs, there will be some, um, uh, defense mechanisms that get triggered here and there. But, but the truth of it is it's an emotion. It, you know, that fear is an emotion and it will come and go. It really will. And, and often it's pretty short lived actually. Um, but, uh, yeah, to have an, an existential, sort of um, challenge at that age when you're sort of developing an identity and there's no one there to tell you, oh, this is what's actually happening. It's completely okay and so forth. Yeah, it can be really scary. And, and a lot of people have gone through things like that. I know mm. people who went through that as a child, actually. Mm. And so um, when they start to hear this message or come in contact with um, a, a more holistic, supportive or integrating approach to this whole thing, they're, they're relieved because they realize, yeah, it's not all existential terror and um, dissolution uh, because there's also this radical integration that happens as well. This, the intimacy is, um, as you know, it's, it's incredible. So uh, that's sort of a more balanced approach. And I try to include that in the book, a lot of support uh, and a lot of knowing that uh, this isn't really just a project of throwing out something. It's not like you're just going to shed, shed, shed all this, this that you've already collected in your life that's made you feel safe and like who you are. And that's just all going to go away. And that's what this whole process is about. It's actually not. Um, it's about clear seeing. It's about looking closely enough at what's actually happening to see it 
for what it is. And then you see yourself for what you are. You see that the sense of self and the sense of that which the self is perceiving has never been a part at all. And then you can even look closer at that and it starts to sort of, I want to say deconstruct, but it's not as much deconstruction. It's just, it just shines, shines forth with its, with its living truth. Mm. Unfiltered reality becomes quite, uh, I would say enjoyable. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing experience to just feel this interconnection, this, um, this radical absorption of everything into itself all the time. Um, it fluctuates. I mean, it's not, there's nothing that's consistent and all the time, but the, the, the fact that it's the baseline experience is, is just astounding to me that, that there doesn't have to be anything fixed or holding or, um, suffering or struggling or pushing against life that life can easily manage itself just like this. Um, and, yeah. and you can experience it in its raw form. That's, that's an amazing thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, in the book, I try to be as, as supportive as I am honest. And, um, there are things that, that, that you're going to feel uh, some grief around letting go of, uh, but there are also aspects of this that you won't believe how intimate it is that what you've always been seeking for in the mind through surrogates, um, is actually already here and, it will just reclaim you at some point. And that's, that's beautiful. It's a, it's a, it's a such yeah. A and it's available now and now Absolutely. and now and now, right. I mean, you don't, that's, that's the, this, um, yeah, the suffering from <laughs> believing that you're stuck in, in, in a timeline. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do that later. I'm going to do that when I, yeah, when I retire, I can, I, I will have time to do that. And, you know, I've been thinking like that myself, but it's really so stupid. Because everything happens, it, it's really very much about being present, isn't it? Being living in the now moment. And uh, as you know, there are other pointers out there who have been talking and writing about this. Uh, especially, I'm thinking of Eckhart Tolle, mm -hmm. whose book, The Power Now, is, is, is really wonderful also. Mm -hmm. And there is another guy called Michael Singer. I haven't read his book, but Untethered Soul. Yeah, yeah, it's a similar message. So it's, it's likely, I think many people are, when they hear about that, and I've been thinking that way myself, that you have to stay in the present moment, the now moment all the time, then you can kind of get, or your mind tells you that, uh, oh, you're going to forget things. Mm -hmm. You need to think about this and that and what you're going to do tomorrow and what you did yesterday, because otherwise you're going to forget it. You mm -hmm. can't let go of that because then you're going to be, you know, like a vegetable just sitting here and watching your table or whatever isn't it like that i mean many people perceive it like that yeah that's a very common fear a very common fear is uh, or a few very common fears are i'm not going to be able to function like I, I won't know what to do at all if i don't have thought if i don't reference thoughts how will i know what to do um uh, another common fear is i'm going to go crazy like i'm going to lose my mind um and then uh, another very common fear probably these are probably the top three the other one would be um I'm, you know, what about my kids, right? That your mind goes and your heart goes to the, the most important thing in your life. What about my, my family, my children, my spouse, will I abandon them? Um, and these are fears I hear, you know, very okay. frequently. And I pretty much say the same thing all the time. And I say, I've just, I've never, I've never seen it. I've never seen anyone, you know, go crazy. If you, if you have a, I, I put a, a disclaimer in the book, if you have a propensity for psychosis and things like that, yeah. um, it, it's probably possible to wake up. I'm sure it is, but you want to work with somebody who has a lot of experience and, and be, work closely with somebody and 
maybe not try to go it on your own with a book or something, but, um, short of somebody who has truly has psychosis. Um, I've never seen anybody lose their mind going through this process. Um, I've seen people with the fear that they're losing their mind, but mm. when you point out, Oh, that's another thought. And they say, Oh, wow, it is a thought. How funny. Um, <laughs> then all, all of a sudden you realize it goes away. your mind, your, yeah. your, your thought, your, your mind is just getting a little, uh, throwing a tantrum. It's saying, you're not paying attention to me. Well, here, here you go. Let me just turn the heat up a little bit. Mm. And I'm going to tell you that if you don't pay attention to me, you're going to go completely crazy. In fact, <laughs> you are going crazy right now, you know? Um, so a lot of times just pointing to the fact that these are, these are just thoughts moving through our mind helps a lot. Um, you know, the family thing and children and, you know, people don't abandon their children. Why, you know, why would you abandon that the people that are the most important to you just because you're seeing reality more clearly? No, you, you, you see them without filter. Well, you see them with less filters, actually, when you see them with less filters, um, there's, there's, there's the personal love, but then it becomes even on top of that, an unconditional love that that's undeniable. Um, it's just a reverence for, for the life expressing itself as that, that human, that child, that friend, that lover. Um, and in, in their own right, they're, they're, they're a work of art, they're, they're creation in motion. It's amazing. Yeah. So why would you abandon, you know, somebody that you're that close to, or that you're, you're taking care mm -hmm. of it. And it, I just don't see it happening. So, um, but of course it, it also demonstrates the compassion and, um, sense of responsibility that somebody has toward, toward those family members and towards our children. So, um, so these, these are common fears, but it also kind of shows you like how, how much the mind pushes you around. Yeah. It's a bit of a yeah. bully. Yeah. And the paradox seems to be that if you let go of thoughts and feelings, you actually, you see things more clearly and you remember more easily, I understand, things. When, and, and you remember them when you need to remember them, mm -hmm. if you don't think about them all the time. Is, is that correct? <laughs> this, is, this is what I find is that um, if there's a whole bunch of thoughts uh, going on. And a lot of those thoughts are, are saying things like, oh, you're going to forget this, or you might you know, not remember yeah. that. Um, in my own experience, looking back to when my mind was doing that all the time, I think I was more forgetful. I think I actually overlooked things more, misplaced things more. Life was a little more chaotic and, and, and I was you know, kind of more busy. Now it's far less like that. I think um, some things you do have to learn to adjust to, but this is usually more deeper stage realization. But um, things like time does feel so different. So if you're at home for the day and you have an appointment at say 3 PM or whatever, you might want to set an alarm because it's, it, you know, one hour or four hours to me, it's kind of hard to tell the difference, honestly, mm -hmm. when, when I'm, you know, meditating or sitting or just enjoying myself around the house or not doing anything specific. Interestingly, when I'm at work, it's actually pretty easy to focus because I'm focused on the task at hand and that, that task compels, you know, the, 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 the mental process is required to solve problems and do everything I need to do. And it works, it works totally fine. But when there's like expanses of time and, um, and you're just in presence, uh, it, it is helpful to sort of set alarms for things you don't want to forget later in the day. But generally speaking, remembering appointments, meaning meetings, et cetera, it, it seems to work just fine for me. I do simplify my life, um, be, mostly because I, there's no need to add added stress of, of just extra busy things to do for no good reason. Um, so, uh, so I, I, I like to simplify things to what really matters. Um, but yeah, I don't, I personally don't find that I'm more forgetful necessarily. No, I can, I can, I mean, this is the light version of course, but I've, since I've been trying to live more in the now moment, I find that I have more time on my hands paradoxically. It's like, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I can kind of, uh, it's hard to explain really, but it's like when you don't think about what you're going to do all the time, you, you kind of, I, I, I think you, sh- you expense a lot of energy. Uh, you, you use a lot of energy on just thinking about what you're going to do uh, other than doing it uh, besides doing it. I mean, if you just do what you do, that doesn't take very much time actually. Then there's a lot of space between the things that you do. Mm-hmm. But this space we normally fill with worry and anxiety and mm-hmm. thoughts and feelings about what we did and what we are going to do, which is completely pointless, really. Yeah. <laughs> considering. Yeah. And, and it, it all comes down to, it boils down to one thought. The thought is, oh, no, if I don't think, I'll not know what to do. You know, yeah. and when you realize, oh, that's just one thought floating around through this <laughs> present moment right now, it opens up a lot of space. You make it sound so simple. <laughs> Sometimes it is. It is, I guess. Yeah. So, what's a calendar to you? Um, I don't track too much on the calendar, but on occasion, like you know, I I know that you know next week I'll have one or two appointments that are outside of my normal work schedule or something, and um, I, I just know by, because I know myself that I'm not going to forget those. So, but if it if it's busy, if there's a lot to do, I might write it down. Um, but is but it, but what is? I mean, how do you, how do you how do you perceive time? Where you are i mean how do you perceive a week even i mean i'm today we're this is called tuesday yeah. what's yeah, tuesday okay. what, what's tuesday about it it's not i mean it looks like just any other point in space time yeah to me, we, we, we call it a tuesday i don't know why yeah right it's a thought it's, not, it's a thought it's not any, yeah when we, before when you were mentioning the timeline uh, yeah. you know like the moving from the past into the future and becoming more present um, I thought to say something, but then we went on sort of to another topic. But what I wanted to point out, and um, it's easy to forget that we, you can't become more present because there is only presence. So we've actually never experienced the past, yeah. of course, right? Of course. We've never experienced, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the future. Um, we've only ever experienced this moment. Yeah. And this moment, you don't even have to describe it as a moment because there aren't other moments. Mm. So there's not even a this really, but you can see how the mind just cannot do anything with that. The mm-hmm. mind has to say, well, but I remember this, this, and this, <clears throat> which is fine. But if you're really going to be uh, ruthless about this truth test right now, can you actually touch that past moment when the thought comes and it says, oh, but I remember eating breakfast this morning. Have you ever actually gone back into that past and suddenly sat down next to yourself and ate breakfast with yourself? Never. <laughs> it's never happened but you've thought of it 10,000 times, a hundred thousand times. Yeah. Yeah? So that's the hypnosis of thought. The truth of it is it it actually is only here. There's only this present moment. And you know, scientifically this is backed up. It is backed up in relativity, right? For, for a light, for a photon of light, there's not time, right? Mm -hmm. Time dilates to infinity. So a a photon of light exists at the beginning of the universe and the end of the universe simultaneously. Um, Is consciousness something like that? Maybe you could say that, but I can tell you for sure you can experience it directly. And that it becomes obviously far more how it is than the way our minds keep putting it together as past, you know, recent past, distant past, you know, near future, far future. These are all constructs. They're all mental constructs. And you can point yourself back to that very easily by just noticing, can I have a thought at all about this moment right now? Any thought really is about the past or future. Because the moment I have a thought about this moment, um, then that's a memory. It's already yeah, a memory. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Does it see how that works? The, the, yeah, the, the, I see the, how it works. So yeah. So being in the presence, it means per se, not to think. In a sense, yes. In and sense. and I'm careful to say that because if you just try to hold yourself to some standard of never having thoughts, you'll you'll struggle too much. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's more about it's more about looking into first step is looking into identity, the identity of of I or me. That's that self-inquiry. Uh, and then what happens is identity shifts from a sense of being a discrete self in time, struggling against its external world to get what it needs and wants and so forth. It, it, it literally shifts from that to this, this very obvious experience of unbound consciousness. Um, you might call it pure being, and some people would call it the, the pure sense of I am. I am without any uh, qualifier. Not yeah. I am this or I am that or I'm a person. None of that. Just the pure I am before you become something in thought. Mm -hmm. And it's not even a thought I am. It's a sense. Mm -hmm. um, that's the first shift. And it's a shift into what felt like a very small threatened place of me inside here to this extremely flexible um, <clears throat> sort of dissolving and reforming uh, 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 oceanic experience of everything is self. That's, that's just the first step, but that, that's, a, that's a necessary step. When that happens, we become far less identified with thoughts. In one, sense, in one layer of thought, we actually become de-identified from thought, but there's a sort of more fundamental layer of thought that we start to work on after. Uh, <clears throat> when that happens, thoughts generally calm down. They don't typically go away right at that stage, but they, they calm down a lot, mm. meaning we don't constantly take reference from thought. We don't feel like I need to grab onto the next thought to know who I am, what to do, or to try to make myself feel better. You could almost say that we stop referencing thought to stabilize ourselves. We realize, oh, I, that's not stability. That's enclosure and, and it's kind of suffering. Stability is stopping looking for stability. Stability is letting go. Stability is this expanse that is marvelous, un, uh, you know, un, unimaginably clear and free and boundless. That is... We, we sort of get a stability, you could say, or get a, a sense of identity from the boundlessness instead of something solid, discrete, enclosed. That's that first shift. And when that happens, again, the thoughts become far less interesting. And it's very obvious when we're getting entangled in thoughts. Mm. It's more like, so thinking becomes more like a tool, a useful tool that you yep. can use sometimes? Uh, or mm, I don't know if it's a tool necessarily. I would say... It just becomes obvious that when there is just presence, total presence, flow, things work out perfectly fine. Everything just life unfolds itself beautifully and, and it's thoroughly enjoyable. And then we also notice when something feels triggering, something pulls me internal, pulls me into a mind identified conformation of thought that that that's something to look closer at that um, there's something at the center of that, a, a belief, often it's a belief or a repressed emotion, an emotion we haven't been coming up in contact with. Um, so, so yeah, after, after that shift, um, it's not that we see thoughts as like some kind of enemy that, that cause all these problems. It's more like we see the mechanisms of when we fixate and use thought to do it. Thought is kind of like the medium of that fixation. Mm. Um, and we start to look into the fixations themselves and this just happens naturally, actually, it's, you know, someone going through this may not describe it like I'm describing it, but it, it's going to happen. Yeah. And that's kind of after the honeymoon phase that I discuss, where 
thing you start to feel like <laughs> more unenlightened in a way. Okay. Like, you know, this, this spaciousness, this, this, uh, this, um, fluid identity, this oceanic experience, and you can lead yourself back to it frequently through meditative practices. And at the same time, you can't ignore anything the way you used to mm. the inside. You, you start to really come in contact with these identity structures, these fixations, all of it. Um, and that's kind of the, 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 really that's the crux of the work of, of awakening and realization. Yeah. The first shift is kind of a freebie in a way, and it's wonderful. Um, but then you really got to get to work and, um, find all these places that we hide, that we repress, um, that we, we go internal, we go up into our mind to avoid, uh, whatever's happening in life and so forth. And, and that'll all just relax over time. And there's specific techniques you can, you can kind of use to work on this stuff. Sometimes, you know, people need even therapy if there's like trauma, things like that. But mm. ultimately that, that all just relaxes itself. And then you start to come in contact with these very fundamental perceptual filters. These are sort of the, the handful of um, perceptual fixations that will, will start to release in deeper realization. And then the world starts looking very different in, a, in fundamental ways. And one yeah. of them is that dualistic subject object concept. Yeah. 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 And so then, then there are specific techniques you can use to engage each of these little aspects. Mm. One of them is the non-dual one is sort of equanimity, what I might call equanimity. Yeah. You talk a lot about equanimity in the book. Yeah. Yeah. If there's one thing I think in this whole process that people generally find the most enjoyable, mm. um, is, is the equanimity aspect. When, when equanimity clarifies, it really feels like, oh, this is what I've actually always been looking for. Yeah. Strangely. So e equilibrium thing. Like you uh, know what it is, it's, it's like, um, whatever happens in the moment is exactly right already. Yeah. 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 There's, there's nothing holding back going, Ooh, do I like it or do I not like it? Should I push against it? It just is. It's just like, oh, that, yeah, it's like, oh, more of this, more of this, this, yeah, this, yeah, this, yeah. this. Yeah, I, I want to ask you about this because, I mean, you, you, have, you have these brilliant chapters on thoughts and emotions in, in the book. Fantastic chapters and uh, in the whole book, yes. But, but you, uh, you, you um, emphasize there several times that when you're awake, you're not, these things don't go away. You, have, you still have the emotions. You still have. I mean, they—they're all. Uh, I mean, equally valuable. You can have sadness. You can have joy. You can have anger. You can have all these uh, emotions. But at the same time, you speak about this equanimity thing, mm -hmm. which, uh, to my mind, it sounds like there is a difference in in quality anyway. Because I mean, if you're if you're sad before awakening, you're. I mean, you are devastated. You're. 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 you're I mean, it's terrible. But but. As far as I understand it, when you're awake and you're sad, you kind of enjoy, or even in, in a paradoxical way, enjoy the feeling of sadness. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, or yes, am yeah, I yeah. am I right here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very enjoyable. It's um, what what it turns out uh, in my experience, and and people I, I work with, I would say, would generally agree with this from from what I've heard from them going through these experiences, is the emotions were never a problem, but we had a lot of conditioning around emotion where the part of us that says, I don't like this emotion, I don't want it. And all of the behavior complexes that are in place to keep us avoiding certain emotions, that's what was causing all the suffering around emotions. We're blaming the emotion 
And it's not an emotion. It's not the problem of the emotion. Yeah. Okay. I've heard, I've heard emotion defined as like energy in motion or something like that. To me, an emotion is a physiologic response from the body in, in the body, in the physical experience of, of just aliveness. Um, but I'll call it body for now. And that, that physiologic response is perfectly okay when it's not resisted, when it's resisted, we blame the, the, the experience, but the resistance itself is what's causing the struggle. Okay. The the suffering. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's um, the resistance that's the problem rather than oh, the emotion. Sure. It magnifies things. Yeah. And yeah. Even physical pain, even physical pain, it really mm. magnifies it into uh, a pro far more of a problem than it actually is, is in my experience. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, with emotion, it's very interesting. You don't become um, um, necessarily more emotional, but I would say you, you probably feel them in, in a deeper way. But they also are much more fleeting. They tend to come and go very quickly, like kind of like weather patterns. Um, but you don't even really think of them as such. You don't think, you know, you don't live in this world of like, oh my gosh, what am I feeling? And what do I do about it? It's nothing like that. You just, you just feel energetic movements and they're completely fine. They're just part of life. Um, and I think sadness, uh, sort of like a happiness exuberance comes in that category. Um, uh, anger can, although um, most of us in this world, uh, the way we live, don't come in contact with things that are physically threatening to us on a daily basis, although some people do. Um, so the, 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 the intensity of, of that kind of self-protective anger isn't very common, but it's certainly possible um, to have a physiologic experience if someone's physically threatening you or something is physically threatening you and it's, it's intelligent, right? It's fight or flight. It's um, gotta be physical threatening, I guess, because I mean, all the other kinds of threatening you, you're, you're, you stand above those. <laughs> So well, it's not that you stand above. It's just that you see there's no story to it. The story, no story is to it, yeah. the story we believe, you know, so, so for instance, with anger specifically, there are, you know, so all of us have to come uh, um, in contact with that anger barrier at some point through this process, but some people really struggle with anger in life inside or outside of this, this process we're talking about. But I would argue that what I see with people who really struggle with anger is they're actually repressing it. They're, they're afraid of anger and, and, and thus, avoid certain um uh interactions where they establish good boundaries mm. and then when the boundaries get pushed enough then the anger comes right so when we learn to actually just feel the emotions and and we kind of sense what it's actually telling us um that anger is always about boundaries of some sort and someone may be actually pushing your boundaries or something and you may need to have to communicate that um so in in that sense uh, anger is an intelligent emotion um but yeah, I, I very, very rarely would feel angry that I can think of. Yeah. Um, sadness even is not that common, although I, I often feel it with people because mm -hmm. when people are going through this process, there's a lot of grief. They're, mm -hmm. they're actually, they feel like they're letting go of a lot um, at yeah. various times. So I, I feel that with them, there's no barrier to that. And I can physiologically vibe with that person easily. Um, <clears throat> but um, over time, the, the emotional landscape emotional landscape does calm down a lot. It becomes, it comes, it comes pretty, pretty, um, neutral, I would say overall, although there's no avoidance of emotion at all. It's not, it's not a numbness. The other thing, so it's I not, it's not total bliss. My, I mean, that, that might yeah. be a misunderstanding that awakening is about total bliss all the time. You know, it really depends on what bliss means. I've heard that yeah. the term is actually translated from equanimity, but okay. if you think about it as happiness, often what people are thinking of as happiness is, um, in opposition to anger or sadness, like the feeling good and opposed, as opposed to feeling bad. And often if we've hooked ourselves into that, then 
certain external life situations and conditions will tell us we're feeling good and we'll believe it, but we're kind of believing our own narrative in that, in that way of feeling good versus bad, that, that kind of polarity in believing yourself into feeling a certain way kind of goes away. Yeah. So it's more like the physiologic response to the environment. Well, I guess um, absence of suffering would be very much good enough. Right. <laughs> because, yeah. Yeah. Then yeah, I, if, if you define bliss as equanimity, I would say it's, I, I am hesitant ever to say it feels really good or, and so forth, because, because the, I know the mechanism of seeking yeah. and it, it does, it does kind of come into play in this whole process as someone's moving through it. Yeah. And so then what, what can happen is someone hears that and they, they either one completely bypass what they're actually experiencing and feeling and tell themselves they feel great and tell everyone else they feel great when underneath they really don't. And that's, it has to, you have to start with authenticity. Um, so that's, that's one reason I'm careful not to say this to, um, uh, without some caveats. The other reason is our mind, the, 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 the thought you know, laden mind is all about seeking and it will just sit there and seek this imagined state of bliss and keep comparing its own experience to that as if that's awake, as that, as if that's waking up, but it's not, that's still separating itself from life. So, um, so I'm cautious to talk about, you know, the, the, the natural enjoyment that comes with all of this, but it is naturally enjoyable. It, um, it's just not in any way where it's not self-congratulatory. It's not because I've gained something or I'm special. Mm. All of those ways of trying to make ourselves happy um, are, uh, are sort of self-sabotage, I would say, because yeah. they, they always come with this other part where we doubt ourselves. This is different than all of that. It's the joy of not being bound to, to any of that mind identified, um, baggage and weight and heaviness. Uh, there's, there's a, there's just a freedom in, in moment to moment experience of reality. And that is, is thoroughly enjoyable. I can't deny that it is. And when it comes to thoughts, you stress a lot that, uh, I mean, you point out what thoughts really are, that it's important to see thoughts for what they are. They're, they're just thoughts. They're not, not real. And in a way it sounds a little bit like, um, you know, CBC, um, cognitive uh, behavioral coaching, I guess, I think it's called. Uh, so would you say that this is uh, what you're talking about is the, the deeper version of, of CBC, in a sense? Because yeah, I can't really speak to CBC specifically, yeah. because I don't know the technique. I do. I have heard of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and yeah. I'm sure it's related to that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I guess I'm talking about that. Yeah. Just in, as much. Ther in therapy, um, uh, in psychology, there are many aspects of what I point to that are, um, understood focusing is one of them. If you've never looked into that, that's very interesting stuff. Um, but what I find is that the identity barriers are, um, and self defense mechanisms of identity are pretty, pretty, uh, sneaky. If you don't really know how to get through them or know that you can get through them. So what I find is that it will get, it will release some of that polarity in the mind and free you from some of these beliefs and fixations that have caused you a lot of suffering. And I think that's, that's great. It's probably very valuable in, in therapy and so forth. But with this, it's kind of like taking it all the way down through the bottom, yeah. right? When you start to de-identify from thoughts, well, then the next logical question is, well, who am I then? Right. If everything I've ever thought about myself is nothing but a thought. Yeah, they don't go that far in CBT. That's right. Yeah, it gets it gets a little it gets a little like uh, slippery, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, it so, does. Um, yeah, so I think I think a lot of what we see in psychology is probably um, 
and, and it's probably very helpful in that setting, but it's, it's um, probably like the, the preliminary steps of this, but then identity is pretty good at reifying itself and saying, oh, okay, well, let's not look, let's not look too deep. Let's just take care of the things that, you know, that are really causing us trouble. And then just going yeah, exactly. on with the, the, the business of being itself. Angelo, your own awakening came from a point of desperation, as far as I understand. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that? How it all yeah. came about? Well, for me, I would say um, from the time of probably early um, early teen years, for sure. Um, but thinking back, I, I'm pretty sure even in in early in most of childhood, I wasn't really that happy. It's kind of I just felt I could feel a lot of what everyone was feeling around me. Um, something didn't quite feel right some of the time, probably very early childhood. There was a lot of innocence and presence, which I, I actually remember and I can feel into. But the more the thoughts started coming, the more identity started tying itself into thoughts, the, the more it felt uncomfortable. But by early to mid teens, I felt very uncomfortable a lot most of the time until it, it was like a pressure cooker for me. Mm. And the thing was, I didn't have a I didn't have any outlet for that. I didn't have anyone to tell me what was happening or why I was feeling that way. And I also intuited that uh, the people around me um, and people in general seemed to be completely okay with that world of thought. I could, I could sense into that. And but could you sense that the problem was that you were that that there were too many thoughts and too many bad thoughts? Not not at first, huh. because I was I was sort of taking myself to be the thoughts. Like identity was forming as thoughts or taking itself to be thoughts, which I maybe just a normal, um, part of our development, even if it's a side effect, um, the ego structures may be a complete side effect of, of consciousness that we don't actually have to develop, but I think we almost all do. And so, yeah, as I was developing those, it just felt tighter and tighter and more and more uncomfortable. And, you know, there was like shame around it. Like it's something about me that's wrong. There's something wrong with me. That's how, that's how I was perceiving it. Like, what mm. is wrong with me? Like what, what is wrong with so me? common and in a way, but what's so interesting is like now from the, from the perspective of being beyond that, that first shift and other clarifications, it's actually a great koan in a sense. What is wrong with me? What oh, is it yeah. about me? That's oh, yeah, not yeah. right. What's this, what about the sense of me or where I'm taking the, the, the identity of me from thought What's not right about that? There is something not, that doesn't feel right about that. So even though it felt horrible to go through it, it was the sort of match that yeah. lit. A good starting it. point in a way then, yeah. Yeah, and so it really did. It felt like a pressure cooker. It was miserable. Um, and <clears throat> I, didn't, I, don't, I didn't see a psychologist. I, didn't, I just intuited that if I ask other people about this, they're probably not going to be comfortable with it. And I'm not sure they actually know how to get out of it because I could see that everyone was in it. So it's, you know, I don't know. It was, it was like, I was kind of seeing that we're all in the matrix, but I could also see that most people were satisfied with being in the matrix and they were using the matrix to satisfy themselves. Mm. And so I, I really felt like very alone, like, oh my God, what, how do, what's going on here? And is there even a way out? Yeah. And as soon as I tasted that there was a way out and if you, anyone's suffering this much from mind identification, the, the clues will be, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the clues will be out there you'll come in contact with someone, something, a book. There's so many great videos online now, people who are realized who, who make videos, like you'll come in contact with something. The breadcrumbs will be there. 
it's your responsibility to start to pick up those breadcrumbs and say, okay, I'm willing to do what it takes to see outside of this identity to break through, to take the red pill, so to speak. Yeah. 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 Yeah, And you were like 24 or something when you, when you had your. Yeah. Um, I think I probably was, I told a story in the book about a lecture that I was attending. Yes. Zen, Zen master. Yeah. Zen Buddhism. It was like a, a class on, Zen Buddhism, I believe, if I yeah. remember right, or Japanese culture and Zen or something. And we had a guest lecturer one day <clears throat> and he was lecturing. And I think he might have not, he might have been Theravadan. He was Buddhist for sure. And he was a practicing Buddhist. Mm-hmm. He might have even been a, like a monk, but I can't remember exactly his story. But he was talking about all this. And I had heard this before. I'd heard about the, the enlightenment stuff and all the suffering that Buddhism talks about. But I never heard it as an answer to what I was going through. I heard it as like another way of thinking, which every way of thinking I had found so far just made it worse. Right. And all of a sudden he was talking and I, I totally got it. I, I said, Oh, Oh, you're talking about a shift out of, Oh, okay. And I remember asking him, I said, this thing that you're talking about, is that actually possible? And he literally stopped and like locked eyes with me. And he said, there is no doubt. And he paused for a couple of seconds afterwards. And then he just went on talking. And I was like, yep. I literally felt like I just fell back in my chair and said, he just transmitted something. He just told me something and he said, go find it because it's there, you know, and he knew exactly what I was asking. <clears throat> and so that was one of the breadcrumbs for me. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know exactly what I was going to do or how to go about it after that. I, I, I don't know, but I, I knew that there was, there was a way, there was something different than I was experiencing. There was a way out of this enclosure of thought of uh, suffocating identity structures that are based in thought. I could feel it. Um, And I think that that just was like a seed that had to germinate for a few years. And I might've been 19 years old or something. Hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, 24 years old, I had meditated for about four years before that. I think, um, daily, I really liked meditation, but it didn't seem to be shifting identity. Although I did have some very intimate experiences with it, but in general, it was just very peaceful and very enjoyable. And it was kind of like the one time during the day that I wasn't just constantly suffering. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so I, I liked meditation. But yeah, at, when I was 24, a few things happened and I could say it was serendipity, but I could also say it was like clockwork, which I tell people, you're going to notice when you start to really take up this investigation into your deep, deepest nature, your true nature, you're going to start noticing coincidences that mm. can't be discounted. Like yeah. synchronicities. Amazing things will happen, synchronicities. And yeah, I, I like opened a book I had never opened before uh, on my shelf. I didn't even know what the book was. And I flipped through it and I remember reading one line and it said, um, it said non-attachment isn't non-feeling. It's just not attachment to what you're feeling. Okay. And of course that's a simple line and yeah. I could have read it any time before. But it that. resonated it with you. Yeah. In that moment, it didn't just resonate. It like, it was like, it opened a piece of a portal. Like wow. literally it's almost like I looked to the wall next to me and a portal just opened up. It was powerful. And then I was like, whoa, okay. It wasn't the book. It wasn't that line. I was like thinking something's happening that is altogether beyond anything I've ever gone through. And, Let me just say, yeah, and, just, just and I loved it. Yeah, two, two seconds. I, I went down to buy some, some um, energy drink before this interview and I bought one that I hadn't bought before. And I didn't realize until I came back home that it says it's called, what is it called? Awake. I love it. Well, it's, awake. Talking about uh, synchronicities, there you it's go. called awake. Isn't that great? It's incredible. I just I love laughed it. when the I saw it. The universe has such a such a sense of humor. 
Yes. It's, it's so beautiful. Yeah. It does. Okay. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. No, that's it. So yeah, this, I remember that one line just really opening something. It felt like a portal or a wormhole, like in, I don't even know where it was, it was in me or in the, the room I was in. I mean, it was obvious. And I said, Oh, okay. Something's starting to happen. Yeah. Um, I still didn't know what was happening and I didn't know what I was going to do about it, but I knew it was infinitely more powerful than me for sure. It was definitely beyond the scope of what I was. Um, it, it was extremely intimate, but it was also very right. It was like, Oh yes, this is what I'm here for. This yeah. is what I've, I've come to go through this, whatever this is going to be. And I knew it was coming. Um, and then I started reading the three pillars of Zen that I had mentioned in that book. There's a, um, chapter is by Philip Kaplow Roshi. Uh, there's a chapter that is, says enlightenment stories. And I think they're all Westerners actually that went through like Zen sessions, the big retreats and so forth. Um, some for several years, some for a shorter time, but this, this chapter was all personal stories written by them about going through awakening. Ken, they called it Kensho. Mm. This is awakening. And they wrote so clearly and so obviously about what they went through in their own ways that it was undeniable. I said, Oh, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that right there. And I don't care what I like. Everything else just faded completely. into. Yeah. 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 It didn't matter what happened in my life. I'm like, I'm going to go through that if it kills me. And it wasn't much longer. You know, it didn't take me long after that. I, I figured out a way to do self-inquiry through, through my, my meditation and it became, it just caught on fire. Like I was carrying it with me daily. Like, and one day the bottom fell out. Literally the bottom just came out. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I, I should say it happened in two phases. Um, I think I've described this in a previous video, but I can go through it briefly. So one night, uh, as I was meditating, doing a sort of self-inquiry, but more of just a fascination with every time I would let go of a thought structure, a belief or an image in the mind, there was more of this presence, clarity, consciousness, whatever, you know, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't naming it. And I wasn't discussing this with myself. I was just fully immersing myself into it. And, and, it, and until it became obvious, I wasn't doing this. There's something else doing this. It was, I just merged into something far, far, far more profound and bigger and I realized I could lead myself back to that in almost instantly in meditation. And I just sat in that and it was wonderful, wonderful, mm. wonderful. Mm. And I thought, I remember thinking and knowing for some reason, this is what spiritual people are, are seeking this right here, this equanimity of, of consciousness. It was so beautiful. Uh, and then I, I remember thinking how strange it was that I knew that because I didn't know spiritual people. And I was like, Hmm, that's interesting. Anyway, I'm not going to do anything but this when I have free time. Cause this is so wonderful. It was so wonderful. Yeah. Um, and that was one night. And I remember going to sleep that night and I wrote about this in the, in the book, there's more to it, but I wrote about this in the book. That was, that was what I would call awakening Kencho. Then what happened the next morning was totally different. This, this went way beyond that. And it goes into a, a, a thing that I can't even begin to describe, but it was like the bottom fell out. Mm -hmm. You can almost say in the first phase, I disappeared into presence. It was just, there was just presence. There was no me. There was just presence. And that's all that there was or ever could be. And I could sort of lead myself back into that knowing experientially very easily. The second phase was more like the whole universe disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> and I could see the fabric of reality that, cr that created the universe, that creates the universe. Yeah. And I was, and I was that, but it was, there's no, but there's no I in that. There's no identity in that. That's just all there is. It's all there is. It's all there ever could be. Everyone it's disintegration and integration 
at, at the most fundamental level where reality is coming into being, mm. but it's also non-reality. It's, it's like emptiness and the, the arising of reality intertwined. And that's mm. just how this is all the time. There's no way it could be other. It's like this for everyone, no matter what the thoughts are saying, it's just how this is. And, and that's where I, you've I, stayed since then. That never went away. That never went away. Because it's never, there's nowhere it could go. Because it's the natural state. It is then, yeah, yeah. Even to say it's the, to say anything about it, I, I'm, I just want to wash my mouth out with soap. Okay, okay, it's, okay. It's also so, it's, it's so alive and it's so real and unreal that even real and unreal are interpenetrating all the time. Mm. I can't even talk about this. It's, it's just, it's such a magnificent display. Yeah, you write some, some, somewhere in the book that, that there's no way things are. Yep. <laughs> or something like that. They they can be just anything, and they are anything. That's right. It, that's <laughs> Which is really it's like a koan. Everything is literally constructed of indeterminacy. Yeah. Everything in the, everything I'm looking at, feeling, saying, everything we're talking about, me and you. This is just indeterminacy radiating into this experience of reality. Yeah. That's 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 the fundamental experience. Well, it's a little bit like quantum physics in a way. It is. It is very much. I didn't know that until I learned about quantum physics later. And I learned about Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Reality is coming into being and going out of being all the time that even even physical, physical uh, particles mm. are coming into being and going out. of. They're borrowing them, themselves from from nothingness yes. and going back into nothingness. So that's you experience dependent origination. Yeah. It's like that's exactly what dependent origination is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You experienced quantum mechanics without knowing anything about it. <laughs> first hand i guess yeah it, it's 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 so it's so if there's something i could share with anyone it would be this but it's not shareable because first of all you're already there second of all it, it i the conditions determine whether someone's going to orient toward this in this lifetime or not yeah. and some people won't but it doesn't mean that you can't because anyone certainly can mm. absolutely it's your true nature Let's talk a little bit more about consciousness uh, generally. But but uh, first, you you became a doctor after this awakening. You studied to become a doctor, and you're an anesthesiologist. I understand. Yeah. So and and you've been working as a doctor for for many many years. Uh, ten years. Ten years. Okay. And then also at the same time, you are uh, you're helping people out uh, who want to awaken. Yeah, they contact me, and then we yeah. we talk, and then people wake up. Uh, and this work, I mean, this this uh, doctor work thing is is no problem for you. I mean, you, you have to go to work at certain times, and you you have to be immersed in the matrix, so to speak, when you when you have a uh, a job like that. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. Yeah, I love it. You love it? Yeah. Yeah. It's every everything is just texture of life. Yeah. There's not better and worse textures. It's just texture, and it's thoroughly enjoyable. Uh, mm -hmm. I find. Um, mm -hmm. Even even when the body's tired or you feel overworked, which doesn't I don't really get much of that anymore. But you know, even even in those conditions, it's still thoroughly enjoyable. It's just a different flavor of reality for reality to taste itself. So um, I personally enjoy it. I don't look at it like I'd rather you know not do medical work and then talk to people about awakening you know twenty four seven or anything because I still talk to people quite a bit about it anyway. Yeah. Um, and I, I put resources out there so people can find it. They don't necessarily need a one-on-one -on -one interaction with really anybody because there's so much resource out there, good pointing. And especially with this first shift, it really comes down to your own willingness to just give yourself 
to that unknowable force that starts moving in your life when you mm. become interested enough in this. You'll feel it. You'll feel that portal start to open. It may not feel like a portal to you, but you'll feel something. And all you really have to do is orient to that. No one can help you do that. And it can be a mistake to, to give too much stake to a teacher, a group, um, or even a specific teaching because you, you really just have to, in that first shift, you have to really want to let go of everything you've ever learned about yourself and find out what you really are. And once you're willing to do that, uh, it's just a matter of time yeah, and, and some effort. Yeah. So, um, so I, ha I have faith that, that the, the resources are out there for people and, um, they, they, anyone can do this if they, if it's the most important thing, anyone who's listening to this, you can do this. You know, if you've listened this long and you haven't tuned out because it's just gibberish to you, then trust me, you, you can go through this process. It might take yeah. you six months. It might take you two or five years, but you can definitely do it. Wonderful. Do you have more time? Can we, can we, can we yeah, talk? Let's go. Okay. Let's go into consciousness then, because I, in your book, you, you don't, you don't talk very much about consciousness in general and what it is and, and, mm -hmm. and the universe and all those things. If, if you might call them things even, and I'm a bit obsessed about that. I, I'm extremely interested in, in what consciousness is and where it is and, and, and all about that. So, so what, what are your thoughts on that? Maybe that's, that's your next book because I, I know you're writing on, on a second book here. Mm -hmm. Consciousness, um, as I define it, there are many ways to define consciousness. And in fact, like at work, I might define it, define it in a very different way. There are levels of consciousness that someone might go through as they wake up from an anesthetic, for instance. But when I'm talking about this, I'm talking very specifically um, about something um, that's not necessarily a thing. But let me just make a, um, a point about language here. Mm -hmm. This is for anyone listening. If you and I are talking about a chair, I'm already reasonably cer certain that you and I are talking about the same thing, meaning if we both walked into a room and didn't discuss it ahead of time, each of us could individually point to the same object, knowing that that's what we were talking about outside the room. Yeah, I'm sure that's true of a clock, a chair, a picture, a body. When we talk about consciousness, I'm 99% sure that most people I talk to until I really start tuning into what I mean um, with them, they're going to walk in the room and point to something totally different yeah. because these are subtle things we're talking about. Okay. So I just want to say that if it sounds like I'm talking about it from different angles or I'm beating around the bush, I'm not, I'm just talking about something that's so close that it's very easy to overlook. Mm -hmm. But once you get what it is, once you instinctually, uh, find yourself in and as consciousness, mm. it's undeniable. It's, it's like, Oh, that. And it's nothing that's, that's, that, that pertains to you specifically. It's, it pertains yeah. to everything and you're just it, part sorry, of it. Usually it feels like something like you've expanded into everything or everything and you are completely fluid so that there's no reason to say me anymore. Although again, some people, especially initially will perceive it as the sense of I, or I am or mm. self with a big S, mm. um, which makes sense that there's only one thing you could call it a self or you could call it not a self. Does it really matter what you call it? You know? Um, <laughs> but the key is the key is there's nothing outside of you. And, and the expansiveness of it is usually marked. It's, it's usually one of the qualities you experience. Mm. Um, it's like oceanic. It's in every direction. It's infinitely deep. Uh, it encompasses everything you could think, every 
memory, every future, every past. Um, technically, it's what thought is made of, but most importantly, it's also what you are made of. Mm. You, what, the sense of you, not the thought about you, mm. the sense of you right yeah. now. Yeah. That's the key. That's really the key because we're so used to looking outward from that sense of self and consciousness, a structured thought identity that we don't include it in the thinking process. And that distancing in thought is what makes it challenging for some time to really find yourself in and as consciousness. When that tendency to keep pushing away thoughts in a sense or holding them at a distance to evaluate them, even thoughts about yourself, when that calms down and it collapses into itself, it can happen different ways. Um, it can happen through self-inquiry. It can happen through a one-pointed immersion into a koan or a practice. Um, it can also just happen through total exhaustion mm. of, of this, of any of this, in, these endeavors we're talking about. And when that collapse happens, it's just the most obvious thing. It, you, people are often laughing and crying at the same time because it's, how did I overlook this? I never, yeah, yeah. It. I never could overlook it. It's always been here. It's always this. It was seeking itself. And somehow I perceived that there was a separate one in there seeking something and there never was. It's just. So what, what do you think happens when we, when we die? We call it dying when the body dies. Does this consciousness continue just the way it is perceived here or, or is it, does it, does anything different well, happen? First, first thing I want to say is realization will go beyond identity as consciousness. And it gets very, very hard to talk about what that's like, but it absolutely does. So this consciousness that you and I are talking about, this, this human experience, and in rudimentary forms, almost certainly an experience of animals as well, um, this, this consciousness, um, it, does, it does go on and it does inhabit other times and places, but it does it through sharing among other humans. That's how I experience it. Mm. Collective, I think I love what Carl Jung described it as yeah. collective unconscious. Yeah. Um, and when you start to experience unbound consciousness, especially after deeper realization, it becomes very surprising what you'll experience in consciousness. Um, experiences you've never had, but they feel very, very real. Um, experiences you're sure other people are having or have had. Um, you, you, you know, a lot of the, the psychic type experiences people describe um, are alterations in consciousness. And we do have access to vast um, libraries of experience, of, um, of belief and uh, identity structures and so forth that are not even what we would have ever identified as our own through unbound consciousness. So all of that is uh, accessible, although it's not something typically that you do by intention. It just, it just occurs almost as a side effect. Okay. But I generally caution people on at this stage though, is not to get too interested in that stuff because okay. realization itself will go beyond even the, the dimension of consciousness. Have you yourself experienced that you've gotten information that All you have? Stuff, yeah. 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 I don't get too interested in it though. I, I get, it's very interesting that You'd think it would be um, like almost like a magical power you get or some way of communicating mm. with other entities or something. But I've always had the intuition that I know what it is. I know the signature of consciousness energetically and I'm fine with it. 
as a, as it's experienced through this body mind but there's yeah. no desire to like manipulate it get something out of it to unnecessarily explore other dimensions of consciousness for me um yeah. and with people, but you get information when you need it from 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 that i would say so internal mm -hmm. space yeah yeah uh, I, I, I love the way that we say things like it struck me and it, it came to me because I, I, in my experiences, that's exactly how it happens. It's not, it's not I who think up something or my brain or whatever. It's, it kind of comes to me when I need it. Yeah. That's how it feels. Yeah, I think when, when you have the ability to um, reside in, in that unbound consciousness, uh, that really opens channels for information the way you're speaking to come through um, even information from probably beyond the realm of consciousness. Mm. Um, you know, Einstein, I, from what I understand, he, I, I did read about how he came up with uh, special theory of relativity as well as the general theory. And he, he did a lot of mind mental exercises and he would imagine things, but he, from what I understand um, he said that he would get to the, the end of what he could do with his mind. And, and in math, like he would sit there and try to do the, the math and try to figure out the equations, but then he would do mental exercises, but he would come to this place where it was like, he was at the end of what he could do. And he mentioned that at some point, that's often where the information came. Yeah. Um, I think uh, uh, the guy who in, uh, discovered the um, structure of the benzene ring had something like this. He was kind of obsessed with it and he'd try to draw it out and try to figure it out. He couldn't figure it out. And he went to sleep at one point, like he took a nap and he had some kind of lucid dream where the, it came to him. It just literally just appeared. Mm. And um, so I, I do think that information comes from other dimensions even sometimes. In, in yeah. The and the brain is, what's the brain to you? Well, it depends on what, what we're talking about. If we're talking scientifically and physically. Um, well, it's, I mean, you could say it's I, like an antenna, you could say it's like an antenna perhaps or something. Yeah. Like yeah. That. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In this in the way receiver transmitter antenna yeah yeah um okay what about sleep sleep and dreaming you mentioned dreams here and you mentioned that you don't you're not overworked very much these days so maybe you yeah. sleep less as well uh so uh, how, how is sleep for you and how how do you experience dreaming and where are we when we dream i i ponder this a lot i think it's very yeah. strange to wake up every day i ah, oh, i have a hard time i don't know getting back to this <laughs> world yeah. it's not unpleasant but it's just a bit strange and then i'm but i, I do remember immediately that it's, it's tuesday and it's kind of disappointing at the same time as i i know it's practical to remember that it's a tuesday when i wake up but mm -hmm. at, at some level on some level i don't want to remember that because i i, I want to like be reborn every morning but it's mm -hmm. anyway that's just me yeah i, I can know <laughs> i can totally relate to that that's great yeah you know I think even more interesting than what happens when you're dreaming is what happens when you're in deep sleep. Okay. Like, uh, you know, Delta wave sleep where there's no internal content in the mind. Yeah. There's no content where we're, our, our sense of self is gone. There's no, no, not even a rudimentary sense of self. Exactly. And that happens, you know, a good handful of hours every single day for pretty much every human. Yeah. And then they come back into this seeming form. That <laughs> is really fascinating to me. That it that is. That can happen. Right. And, Do, and you think maybe it can we, happen. It almost certainly has to happen. There, are, I think there are very few examples of known animals that, that don't sleep. Yeah, I know. And I, I, I've been thinking of maybe we're wired to do this, to sleep 
deeply because maybe because it makes it makes it easier for us to to kind of adapt to the illusion of time when we're in this three-dimensional world because i mean if we didn't sleep if you never slept it would be which would be actually pretty nice because then we, you, we, we would be more obvious that we're there's only the now moment but since we sleep and we kind of uh, disappear from this world for a few hours every day, then, then it's, we, we have a clearer illusion of time, I guess. Yeah. So I, I, I'm just, uh, I'm just, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, really it's an interesting thing. Like, um, you know, in Zen, there's a koan um, that says, Who, what was my face before my parents were born? Oh yeah. You could also say, what is my face in deep sleep when there's no content at all? When there's no sense of self, what is my face then? Mm. And this will hang the mind up. Like it will, if you try to figure this out logically, the mind just goes on tilt and it just says like, there's nothing I can do with that. But strangely, you can actually still try. You can still actually ask that question and say, no, but wait a minute, what is my face when there's deep sleep and there's no content? Or what was my face before I was born or before my parents were born? And you just throw that question into the gears of thought and it kind of makes the gears like, you know, just, <laughs> but, but sometimes, and for some people and in the right situation that opens up a, a portal, it opens up some kind of knowing that go, literally shoots you beyond the mind. This, this kind of inquiry can be really valuable. Cool. So when you ask these questions and you ponder in the way you just did, I think that's, that's very valuable. And I often point people back to, to that. And I say, that's a great call on for you. I would, I would look into that. Um, because that kind of, again, that natural, that kind of natural curiosity is very powerful. Yeah. It's probably more important than any, any specific technique when it comes to this, you know, that you have that sense that there's something beyond or more fundamental. Yeah. Which is wonderful. Yeah. What do you think this world would look like if everybody was awake? Oh my gosh, I have no idea. <laughs> do you do you yeah. ponder do you ponder society sometimes? Culture, you know, read the, read the news, for instance. Yeah, oh yeah, I read the news. Um, you know, my instinct—I I really don't have a lot of stake in it. I don't really have a lot of dogs in the fight, in a way, um, because I trust this process so fully. This this um, unfolding of of reality into itself um, that that's where I orient myself pretty much always. So yeah. that's, that, that takes care of everything. It takes care of itself and it takes care of everything. And, you know, the best thing anyone can do to, to make the forest more green is become a green tree yourself. So I, I really believe that. And I feel that, and I practice it. Um, with that said, yeah, I, I, of course I watch the news. I know kind of what's going on and, um, I do feel a lot of suffering in the world, of course. And I, and I have for a long time, um, and, uh, I know what it is. I know what suffering is. I'm intimate with it. It's doesn't, it's not a problem. It doesn't scare me. I don't, I'm, there's no aversion to it. I know what it is. Um, and I see it. Uh, and what has become very obvious to me is the, the one thing that can be done about it is for an individual that, that feels that suffering of in themselves and, or the world is to wake up. That, that's what I see. And so that's where I put my energy, if that makes sense. So do I think there's going to be a mass awakening? I don't know, but there seems to be starting. It seems that there is starting to be people seem to be waking up much faster. Yeah. Um, and there's so much good information out there uh, and good transmission from people who can directly transmit what we're talking about online. You can find it for free or very cheap in a book here or there. Um, 
so I, I do actually think there's a, there's a big shift in consciousness happening, you know, in, in the evolution of identity or de-evolution of identity. Um, and I think that we're facing major, major challenges in the, in the world for sure. Um, so it's all coming at a pivotal time. So I find it completely fascinating to be alive at this time. Completely. Yeah. Although time doesn't exist, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, so, you know, um, we'll see what happens, but I do, I do really sort of suspect, I, I don't need it to be this way. And I don't, I don't think, um, yeah, I really don't think I feel like I have stake in this necessarily in, on an individual basis at all, because I trust reality to do whatever it's going to do. Um, however, I do suspect that there is there's more of like a mass awakening occurring mm -hmm. and that this topic you and I are discussing will be pretty mainstream in the near future. Whereas meditation and mindfulness type practices were kind of woo woo 20 years ago. Now they're, you know, you, I've seen, I've seen videos of Christians in church teaching mindfulness and meditation. Yeah. And, I mean, things have just changed dramatically. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Bring, this stuff. yeah. bring it on. Yeah. I think, I think it's great. It, yeah. It's great. It's great. Okay. So on that happy note, we might, wrap this up after okay. after a long conversation so what's in store for you now angelo you're writing a new book and you're continuing to work as a doctor what's um happening? yep still working and i will probably start working on the new book at some time in the near future although i haven't felt the the movement to do it just yet it's a pretty intensive process yeah. um and I, I i will probably write one in the next couple of years i would think um i've been asked to do an audio book version of the one i already wrote so i We'll probably look into that sometime in the near future. Um, and I've made a lot of YouTube videos lately, which I've been really enjoying. I love art. So I love the, the videography type um, approach and so forth. So I've been making a lot of videos lately. So that's okay. what I've been up to. So your book, well, you, we must also mention your website, of course, where people can find you and your, your book and all that. Yeah, the website is? The uh, website is simplyalwaysawake, all one word, dot com. The YouTube channel is uh, Simply Always Awake, and the book is Awake, It's Your Turn. Uh, it's available on Amazon yeah, in, in solid page form and in ebook form. So Yeah. Everybody should read it, I must say. Fantastic. Angelo DiLulo, uh, I'm truly grateful you took the time to talk to me today, and um, good luck with everything. Thank you. Good luck to you. That nah, was great meeting you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thank you.